Hi everyone, this is Peter Levin, and you're listening to another episode of In Good Hands, a show about the companies and founders solving our climate crisis. Today, I interview Sean Grundy, co-founder and CEO of Bevy. At this point, we get it, right? Plastic bottles are bad. And specifically, those that we only use once and then throw away. But now, we get to talk about how companies and governments are working on solving this problem. And Bevy is probably the most profound version of that today. Bevy is on a mission to unbottle the future. And chances are, you probably have one of their countertop or stand-up machines in an office that you work in. But if you're unfamiliar, imagine if Apple designed a water fountain. It's this touchscreen water fountain that lets you dispose either normal water, sparkling water, or flavored water. It is a beautiful piece of hardware. And in the episode, Sean and I will discuss what the Eureka moment was and how they arrived at the V1. What it was like selling to their first customers in the early days. Working with thousands of companies, hotels, dining halls around the country and raising over $60 million to eliminate plastic bottles everywhere. So without further ado, I'm so excited for you guys to listen to our conversation with Sean Grundy, co-founder and CEO of Bevy. Sean, welcome to the show. Thank you for hosting me. So, Sean, let's start with the basics. What is Bevy? Bevy is an environmental company that aims to entirely eliminate single-use disposable bottles and cans by making it possible to get top-quality beverages at the point of use. So what that means in practice is we're a beverage machine company. We make machines that purify tap water and then through a touchscreen interface, let users select how to modify their water, whether that's just high-quality pure cold water or sparkling water or adding fruit or functional infusions. And we, we go to market B2B, so you can find our products in corporate offices or in hotels or in gyms or other commercial spaces. Nice. So something I love doing here, because I don't think I've met a single person that has worked in this space, but more specifically has developed hardware that does exactly this. So if we rewind just a second, what were you doing before Bevy? And then what was that eureka moment? So immediately before Bevy, I was in business school at MIT. Prior to that, I worked in environmental conservation for three years in both the US and China. And that that work was very different. The one common theme being that the purpose was to help the environment. With Bevy, the the concept really originated more with my co-founder, Eliza, than with me. She was a grad student in industrial design at RISD, the Rhode Island School of Design, and was focusing on how to out-design bottled water by basically realizing that most of what distinguishes water and most of what water brands are built around isn't really the water itself. Most of the brands are really just using filtered tap water themselves. And she realized that what they're truly competing on is design and brand. And and it's really the design of the packaging. And her initial concept was, could we create a machine that instead of looking like a boring old water cooler or water fountain, could, could we create an actual dispenser 
and, and build a brand around that and use excellent design of the dispenser to be just as attractive or more attractive to users as a bottle was. That's super interesting. I think a similar analogy is in cleaning. It's why companies like Blueland are so interesting. When it comes down to it, right, it's, it's in large parts the same formula, but the form factor and the design is the core differentiation. And I think this is why a ton of people are bullish on the business case. Consumers are eager to change their habits and behaviors. And now we're finally seeing options to do so. One of the things we saw early on was how popular reusable bottles were getting. Like when I was in college, you'd occasionally see reusable bottles on college campuses. But when we were starting Bevy almost seven years ago, not just at college campuses, but in gyms, in workplaces, and with people of all ages, you were seeing people carrying reusable bottles, whether like your sporty camelbacks or like more trendy swell bottles. We were seeing this massive growth in people carrying reusable bottles. And we had two thoughts. One was right now they're limited to filling up those bottles at water fountains or sinks. And could we give them some really nice place to fill up that reusable bottle at? Like if someone's spending $30 on a swell bottle, they'd probably also be willing to spend a little more to have a nicely designed machine with high quality purified water rather than just regular tap water. And then the other thought was the reusable bottles were only being used for water because that was the only option readily available for dispensing. But if you could also offer flavored water and also offer sparkling water, we'd give people more of an incentive and more opportunities to use their reusable bottles for a greater variety of drinks. That's super interesting because in many ways, you're trying to meet an untapped need, but you also introduce a bit of product complication because the simplest V1 is click button and water comes out. But right. Like you saw, people like their water in different ways. They want it to be flavored. They want it to be sparkling. So if we look under the hood of a bevy machine, it's just magic, right? Like how can a little machine do all of these things? So how does the machine actually work? Yeah, it, it looks simple. And the core operations are really straightforward. The hard part about operating our business is doing it profitably and keeping machines functioning well in the field 24-7, year after year. But in terms of how the machine itself works, each machine hooks up to a water line, so it connects to the tap. The first thing that happens when water goes into the machine is it goes through a very high-quality filtration system. We use activated carbon filters, which is similar to what you'd get in, say, a Brita or Pure filter. Except at Bevy, we use half micron filters, meaning our pores are extremely tiny, like half of a micrometer in diameter. And that'll filter out most biological contaminants, chlorine, microplastics, all the things that people worry about. And then that water gets chilled to about 38 degrees. And then it can go on a couple of paths. So if users at the touchscreen want to dispense pure water, then that chilled water gets dispensed instantly. If they want to dispense flavored water, then there are four containers in the machine that have what are called fruit essences. And they literally come from cold pressing peels of fruits. 
And, and those then get mixed into the water stream if users select that. And then if they want sparkling water, there's also a CO2 tank in the machine that will dispense right from there if they want sparkling water. So there's a whole variety of paths that your beverage could kind of go on inside the machine. But then everything comes out of the same nozzle. It sounds simple, but we put a ton of, of time and effort into ensuring that no matter what beverage you dispensed, that beverage would come out pure. I was just going to say that is, if anyone, and I, I would say that most people that listen to this podcast have used a bevy machine before, but if you haven't, you, you'd be shocked that all of these different things are happening behind the scenes. Because like I said, it's, you know, whether it's the stand up or it's the countertop, you're seeing this really approachable, almost like, personality driven machine that just comes to life and you interact with it on, you know, a super easy to use touchscreen. And then just magic happens. It comes out almost instantly exactly what you want. But I can imagine like you just discussed, there's a ton of work that goes into the mechanics behind the scenes to enable what is a five-star experience. Exactly. We really do focus in all our designs. We focus on trying to make the machine friendly, approachable, and intuitive. We don't want people to feel confused by the interface. And it's actually a fun challenge because as we do more new product development, we're focusing on new ways of letting people customize their drinks. Like just to give you a look behind the scenes, our engineering team right now is working on multiple temperature options. They're working on adding vitamins and supplements and giving users more control over like precisely how they craft their water. And we have to do all that, keeping it really simple and intuitive, but that's a fun challenge. Like that's, if you're a, if you're a graphic designer or industrial designer, like that, that's a cool challenge to get to take these complex operations and find a way to convey them simply to users. I want to better understand what those early days looked like, because I mean, this product is hard to build. It's expensive. It has all these different conditions that it has to get right. There's a combination of software and hardware. So when you're just starting, right, who are those first customers? And what exactly did that experience look and feel like? So for a long time on the team, I was the only person without an engineering degree, like probably for two years, I was the only person without an engineering degree. So that meant that anytime something needed to be financially modeled or anytime something needed to be sold or marketed or, or really anytime non-engineering work had to get done, I, I was the one doing it. And it was an interesting time because I had no background in any of these areas either. So it was like on me to learn how to cover us in these other functions. So we sold our first units in 2014, primarily to offices in the Boston area and primarily to tech companies. If I'm remembering correctly, even throughout the whole of 2015, we refused to sell a machine beyond a one hour drive from Boston, just because we didn't have enough confidence yet in how well the product would work. It wasn't until early 2016 that we started selling it to New York and California, just because we wanted our engineers to be able to quickly get to any machine that had an issue, just to prioritize customer service. 
And the early sales, the really early ones were kind of me pressuring my friends. Like, luckily, we had been through the Techstars Accelerator, so we definitely pressured other Techstars companies to get our machines, especially the ones that were a couple of years ahead. Like, I was finding my friends from business school who worked at different tech companies or even consulting firms and having them introduce me to their facilities managers or their office managers. And what I'd say is even though the product was still very much a prototype, we saw signs of a strong product market fit early on when we would speak with office managers or facilities managers, because what we actually didn't think about was the fact that bottles and cans like bottled water and seltzer, which Bevy is designed to replace weren't convenient products for them to carry in their offices. Like when we would tell office managers that we had this IoT enabled machine that would not only very efficiently serve water and seltzer, but would also like track when different concentrates were running out or when a filter needed changing. And then we would automatically go and replace those concentrates. What we didn't realize is that we were saving office managers sometimes an hour, sometimes more time than that per week, because otherwise office managers would have to stock refrigerators with water and seltzer. That is often a daily activity. Go to a storage room to check how how many bottles and cans they had left, various flavors of seltzer, place an order online and hope it arrived in time before their inventory ran out. And It's not necessarily hard work, but it's one administrative task that busy office managers could just get rid of forever with Bevy. And then that really became our sales pitch, asking office managers how how much time per week you spend managing beverages. And sometimes we'd literally hear up to like six or seven hours a week if it were a large company with multiple floors. And then we tell them you never have to spend more than 10 minutes a month on this again. And that that essentially was our sales pitch. So... To the extent that office managers do have to still commit, you know, five, 10 minutes to the bevy machine, can you explain exactly what the ongoing time investment is for office managers, hotels, et cetera? Yeah. Once an office manager or facilities manager gets bevy, the time commitment is almost zero. So we track as concentrates CO2 and filters are being depleted. And we'll generally proactively go and replace those consumables before they run out or in like worst case scenario, it would be shortly after they run out. And really an office manager, a facilities manager only has to contact us if something is not going well for some reason. Like if the machine lost internet connectivity due to say a Wi-Fi password change, then they might have to reach out. But otherwise, the feedback that we frequently get from our customers is what they like about it is you can set it and forget it. There's another, I think, company that launched out of YC maybe in the past year that's doing this with coffee, I think, right? As you run out, I think below a certain weight threshold, it automatically uh, replenishes your supply. I think they're working and they started actually as a consumer oriented product, but they're starting to sell B2B. Yeah. And and it's just funny because like we started off thinking purely about the environmental benefits of this product, cost savings. And then it was only when we started getting to market and, and trying to do sales that we realized the biggest value proposition was actually neither the cost savings nor the environmentalism, but the time savings. So 
do you think that it's because of this arrangement, right? Because there's still some marginal cost that Bevy has to either go into the office or dining hall and refill those two consumables. Is it that cost that informed the pricing model, which appears to be subscription-based in nature? We came up with our pricing model largely through trial and error. Honestly, our first main innovation with our pricing model was to lease the machines rather than to sell them. And that came about basically because our machines cost thousands of dollars to manufacture. For us to get a healthy margin up front, we'd have to sell them for, you know, $7,000 plus. And that came with sticker shock for for office managers. Like we actually tested that pricing and, and people were just not comfortable with that. But they were comfortable paying a few hundred dollars per month month over month. And we saw this actually, especially there were a lot of office managers who are our primary decision maker that we sell to, who in order to spend, say, seven or $8,000 upfront would need to go to a COO or go to a CFO, get approval, send a contract through legal. And in the early days of a startup, that basically kills the sales cycle. Whereas with a, with a lease model, often office managers could just put a few hundred dollars a month on their credit card and just expense it. So it was in the early days, just a really quick solution to help Bevy get in the door. And then honestly, we also did come up with our pricing model with fundraising in mind. Like we wanted a recurring revenue model just to provide revenue stability for investment purposes, to be able to give investors confidence that we could you know, predict our future earnings. And then in terms of how we came up with the actual price from there, it was really just a lot of trial and looking at the competitive landscape, making sure that we could be lower cost than single use bottles and cans, which isn't hard to do just because very little of the cost of a single use beverage is actually the beverage. Like almost all of their cost is the transportation and the packaging of that full beverage. So if you're purifying water and mixing beverages at the point of use, it's hard not to be cheaper than single-use bottles and cans. And today, how many businesses, offices, hotels, dining halls are you working with? We're working with over 3,000 independent, yeah, yeah, independent corporate customers who have anywhere from one or two to over 100 machines. So we're really getting out there. And, and one, of the, one of the more fun and, and interesting trends to watch has been going from selling primarily to tech companies, like for almost two years. But as time has gone on, a lot of our largest clients have become banks and other financial institutions, consulting firms, very traditional industries like manufacturing companies, automotive companies, real estate companies. So it's just been exciting like you, you always hear in the startup world about crossing the chasm and going from selling to your early adopter audience to a more mainstream audience. Oh my God. Dude. Okay. For anyone listening, we could do some quick back of napkin math here. Like this is big time, man. And it's obvious why. I mean, there's a meaningful cost advantage when you switch to Bevy because not only are you offsetting the cost of continuing to repurchase any single-use 
item that you're buying, whether it's LaCroix or Aquafina. But like you said, it's also the ongoing time investment of having someone to do those reorders, restock, check supply. I mean, Bevy is a big win. It's obvious to me why, you know, Bevy is now a, I mean, this is, this is a, you know, a big time company now. I, I do think within two years, I, I do think we'll be one of the largest water companies in the country. Like we're, we're definitely not yet. There, there are a lot of big brands out there, but at our growth rate, we're, we're getting there. So I wanted to bring up another interesting development in food and Bev, and it's specifically around canned water, right? Pepsi has made announcements that they'll be making some type of canned alternative to uh, their Aquafina vertical. Uh, I know other big CPGs are exploring this. And then we had Liquid Death announce a $9 million fundraise. But one of the things that I've been trying to come to grips with is to what extent is the positioning as sustainable greenwashing versus, I guess, well-intentioned? To what extent is the kind of canned as the sustainable option hype versus reality? So aluminum is easier to recycle and just gets recycled a lot more often than plastic does. So that's one plus. Another plus is it is somewhat more efficient to ship just based on the dimensions of cans versus bottles that you can fit more of the beverage into the same volume of a truck. So there are also some savings on shipping costs. Of course, though, it's still a lot more wasteful than getting beverages at the point of use because it still takes a lot of energy to produce and recycle that can. And B, you are still using fuel to ship water when you could just filter your water locally. So I don't view it so much as greenwashing as just like large beverage companies are facing the reality that their customers do care about sustainability and want them to provide solutions to the plastic problem. And they just have to do something. And it's a much easier shift, I think, to start packaging in aluminum cans, since like most of them already have a supply chain set up for that, than it is to shift fully to the point of view. So it's definitely, it's definitely like a move in the right direction on the sustainability scale, but we can go so much farther. Yeah, we had the CMO of Boxed Water on the pod a couple weeks ago, and he even states explicitly, like, yes, Boxed Water is materially better than the other single-use options available today, but reuse always wins. Reuse always, always wins. Yeah, exactly. And really, like, what we're trying to do is make it super easy and fun and just desirable to reuse a water bottle. One of the things... we've heard from a lot of our customers is that they always had a number of reusable bottles that they had gotten at like different work events or as gifts at various times, but they just kept them at home. And Bevy has given them a reason to start bringing their reusable bottle to work every day. That's so interesting. A couple more questions before we part ways today. So when I was interviewing Rob from Boxwater, he made a, a pretty compelling point. And he said that there's a reason why Patagonia is skyrocketing while North Face has in large part stagnated, right? Patagonia is on a mission to save the planet and happens to sell apparel, 
right? While North Face is still saying we make great jackets. And a couple weeks, I don't know, maybe it was a month ago or two months ago, Bevy was actually quoted in a New York Times article, right? Essentially, it was under the guise of polarization is a kind of smart and necessary type of positioning for today's consumer. Should brands be making those types of vocal opinions in an outward facing manner? Yeah, I, I think authenticity is really important to consumers today. And honestly, to really connect with consumers, it, it's important to just say what you stand for. We try at, at, at Bevy, we're very clear that our goal is to eliminate single use bottles and cans. We lead with that in sales presentations, we lead with that in investor pitches, which can be awkward when you're presenting to a room of people who are at that moment drink, all drinking out of single-use bottles and cans. So, so it can feel it, it can feel confrontational and polarizing. But we, we also try not to ever like shame people. Like we really try to provide a market-based solution to the environmental problem by making our product more desirable. And I think Patagonia is pretty amazing at that too. They have a really strong stance and their founder will speak up very harshly against uh, against a lot of, say, corporate interests or other interests that, that may harm the environment. But they really win by creating a superior product that, that attracts people. And th- that's the approach we try to take as well. We try to not shame people into switching over, but just have a product that's so desirable that it makes them um, switch over. So true. Sean, this is really interesting because... One of my favorite shows in the last couple of years is Silicon Valley, right? And you're probably, you, you know where I'm going with this, but Bevy made its way onto the HBO show. I don't know, maybe it was season four, season five. Can you explain how that relationship materializes? Like, is this a simple sign off? Is this the director saying, hey, can we get one of these machines? I mean, like, how did that opportunity come to be? Sure. Yeah. So, so. So that opportunity came about because Silicon Valley's production team actually did research throughout the Bay Area, visiting different companies' offices and actually and interviewing entrepreneurs. Like I actually know some of the entrepreneurs who they personally interviewed to get a feel for what their life is like and what challenges they're dealing with. And during that process, they were also taking note of what companies' offices looked like, and in particular, what their break rooms looked like. And they kept seeing Bevy in real startups' offices throughout San Francisco. And actually, they just submitted a form on our website, like our classic marketing lead gen form got filled out one day and the company was HBO. And we initially assumed it was just like HBO interested in becoming a customer and getting our product for their corporate offices. And then in the sales qualification phone call, we learned that they were actually interested in getting machines for the set of Silicon Valley. And it was not paid placement. Like we lent them the machine for free, but we we didn't pay a dollar to be on the show. All right. So building off of this, I have a semi flushed out idea. And I just want to hear whether or not you're bullish or bearish on it. And it's sparked in large part by this collaboration, right? So in many ways, getting your brand on an HBO show, a Netflix show, a big movie is is 
is prime time, right? I mean, the number of people you're able to introduce your product or service to is amazing. So the, the value of the product placement is big time. Is there an opportunity to create effectively like an AdWords for this opportunity specifically that connects brands to network television or, you know, like kind of large scale entertainment product placement? I would love there to be some simple product placement platform. I'm, I'm not sure if that exists. I, I do remember years ago in Boston, there was a startup working on that. I, I don't know if they're still around. They, they were trying to not so much match match products with TV shows for, for like cause purposes, but just in general, they were trying to make it easy to say watch TV and then get info on the on the products you were seeing. So it would be like if you were watching Silicon Valley, saw Bevy on screen, you could pause and then all of a sudden get like pricing info and background on the company and, and the summary of the product. And I thought that concept was really cool. But yeah, for us, we would love to do more product placements for the coverage, but having some easy way to do that would be great. Yeah, for, for that start, it's almost like, you know, Amazon has, they use the IMDB data set to do like, was it when you pause it, there's like, you know, actor information and. Um, right, right. Sean, last question before we go. And it's, it's one of my favorites. Who has had the greatest impact on your learning and why? Really the Techstars organization like was, was game changing. We did it in early 2014 and we were the last class that Katie Ray ran in Boston before embarking on a different career in venture capital. And she and some of the other mentors in the program, um, one was Bob Mason from Bright Cove. One is, is uh, Reed Sturt events. I, I would say that crew really taught me how to run a startup seriously. Just seeing the other portfolio of companies we were with, we realized that this was a group a group of companies truly trying to create billion dollar businesses and the teams were there to hustle and Katie Reed and Bob who ran the program really taught us what it meant to make progress every single day and to operate as efficiently as possible. And in a startup where speed is key, the approach was very different. It was really, what is the minimum amount of information you need to make a decision and once you have that minimum amount, just move and stop looking and just get to the next phase and get to the next phase. And even now, I, I think when people who don't have startup backgrounds join the organization, that's a really challenging mindset for them to get comfortable with that. Like there are tons of unknowns and we're by no means sure that this is the right decision, but we have enough information indicating it is to just go in that direction and commit. And, and it can be a little scary when you're not used to thinking that way. That is great. And it's also, it's kind of a reflection of the power of momentum, right? If you don't act on something and if you don't optimize for speed and velocity, especially when you're getting going, oh my God, that's got to be the number one destroyer of startups, right? It's like people have this eureka moment and you get going. And if you, if you don't just do and you substitute doing for thinking or overthinking, Oh, man. Right. That's got to be a death sentence. So, Sean, 
um, what, what I love doing as we send off our guests is just to roll the red carpet. Are there any final call to actions, hiring needs, anything you want to leave with the listeners? The floor is yours. Uh, absolutely. We are aggressively recruiting this year where we're aiming to hire 60 new people in 2020. So taking the team from about 140 to about 200 employees this year. Roles are really across the board. We, we have sales roles available in many major metropolitan areas, operational roles in some, and then the majority, the majority of like engineering and, and SGNA roles are located in Boston. But yeah, we'd love to have people check out our available roles. And it's bevy, B-E-V-I dot co? That's right. Bevy dot co. Couldn't, couldn't get the comp. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, couldn't oh, afford Sean. it. Yeah. Sean, thank you so much again for coming on, and we'll have to do this in, uh, in 12 months. Thank you. I appreciate your time today. If you enjoyed the episode, please consider subscribing and writing us a review. Also, if you have any recommendations about a founder or a company that you'd like to see on the show, let us know. Message us on social at In Good Hands. Also, Special shout out to Dan Mahoney, who produced this week's episode, and Eddie Knuckles, our music director. I'm your host, Peter Levin. You can find me on Instagram or Twitter at Peter A. Levin. And that's it. Looking forward to bringing you another new episode next Tuesday.